All right. Welcome. Are you, you're here. I'm here. Let's do this. Very exciting. So it's our first podcast for AP. We can discuss in a few moments some of the names that have been pitched. Sean Chase, welcome. Thank you, Catherine Baston. I know this has been a lifelong dream of yours to host a podcast. It's, it has been, and I don't know what that says about me as a person, probably a lot of things, but um, yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of listening actually to podcasts while I've, you know, been, you know, in quarantine and not actually under quarantine necessarily, but just listening to them. And I'm like, I think I could do this, but um, you know, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. And, and what, what better of a topic than, you know, AP period four review. This is what I've been really wanting to dive into. This is this is the stuff that gets people hooked. This is why our students, all four of them, are currently listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should do some shout outs, special shout outs to, to yeah. who? To who? Who do you want to? I'm gonna throw. Out? You know what? I'm gonna throw a shout out right now to Lizzie Strelly. Oh, yeah, yeah. What? That I know. Girl, no, yeah. I know. I'm going. I know. I'm going cross court on that, and it's going to lead to some bitterness in my own AP classroom. But I'm just. Lizzie Strelly, special shout out. There we go. Listen, I, so who should I give a special shout out to? I don't. I got. I got so many people to choose from. Um, do. Should I go cross court too? Should I say? Should I say yeah. Phil Nancis just because? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Phil. Phil right. always looks worried and concerned. He is the Will Monroe of your class. He in many ways he is. Um, you know, and like he is almost like virtually one of your students, anyways, for all the times that he goes crying to you. It's true. About- it's true. He's not, yeah. you're not, Phil, if you're listening, you know what, please feel free to always reach out. Um, but yeah, no, I think overall I could do, I could do a shout out for each and every one. Um, <laughs> Jason Gehring is going to probably be late to listening to this podcast. Uh, as my students yes. know, Jason, Jason is on his own, you know, kind of uh, time zone. Biking, biking somewhere. He is currently biking somewhere. Maybe he's listening to this podcast while biking. Even better. Even better. You guys, I hope, that you are working out or doing something physical while listening to this. Cause yeah. I can't imagine that just sitting at home by like as a stack exercise. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, that would be ouch order. That would be, t- yeah, come on. I mean, let's period four, 1800, yeah. 1848. Let's um, we're done with our special shout outs. I think we're all done. Yeah. We don't, luckily we don't have to say things like do, do, you know, like ads for anything like, right. st- like Stitcher or like, you know, Squarespace yeah. or anything. Um, right. Although I've heard a lot about Squarespace, but I know you probably have things to do today and I have things to do today and I'm sure our students do as well. Kind, so kind of, right. You know, some, some stuff, not a lot of stuff, yeah. but enough stuff. Right. So why don't we do this? Why don't we, yes. um, we're going to jump right in to, to talk about the period. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to hear a brief interlude. Uh, it means I know I'm going to, I'm going to throw some music in there and, and jazz it up a bit. So guys get ready, buckle up. Wait, so I don't have to like go like, do 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 like make no. my own sound no, and do you, yourself. You could. No, I'm going to, I'm going to class this uh, podcast up with some okay. uh, lovely transitions. So we will, uh, we're going to dive in in just a moment, but before we do take a listen, just take a brief listen. And Sean, a word from our sponsors. Say, say that one more time. <laughs> A word from our sponsors. Yeah, a word from our sponsors, which is going to be like, there's so many noises to choose from. I'm pretty excited. I uh, just okay. know, guys, thank you for 
our listeners for listening. We promise yes. uh, it's four minutes in. We will get wow. to content there. I know it's shocking how much time we're, we can waste um, very, very soon, but I'm going to throw some music in and we'll be back in just a minute. All right. Back. You're back. Nice. Not that you were ever gone really. No, I know. I, I sat here. I sat here in uh, suspense while the interlude was playing. <laughs> uh, we're gonna just chat a little bit about uh, just the overall uh, time period of period yeah. four, um, and then we'll get into some more depth about um, you know the things that you you guys read about over the summer. But how much do you really remember? You know, I don't know. What do you think? How much do they th- do you think they remember from period four? Well, let me put it this way. I just realized last night that we gave them a test, I think, when they came back from the summer sure about did. period four. I totally we forgot did. about that. Oh, I, I remembered that test. And I remember thinking, uh, hope this goes OK. And I think it I think it did. I don't think it went terribly, but I don't think it was great. And so right. you and I, I don't know. if we'll, I mean, the amount of energy and time we put into doing this podcast, I feel like we should do future podcast yeah. episodes for period five and six and seven. Uh, yeah. But you know, I'll defer to the Google survey I'll make and say, did you, right, this right, podcast? right. We'll see. We'll see. They might give us a giant thumbs down or we might lose sponsors. Okay. I don't know. I mean, we that's, might that's lose sponsors by... well, it's going to get contentious because we're going to be talking about some pretty, um, you know, crazy things. In, controversial. In... <laughs> controversial is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So, uh, you so just to be clear, Mr. Chase is kind of just the best and created an outline for us. Oh, no, please, you know, Chad, uh, you're just fantastic. Mm. Um, so I do think you raised an important point yeah. about um, in the DBQ, which you guys will obviously be writing May 15th in 45 minutes using your notes, I guess. Um, they give you these dates, um, which you know, you can talk about things a little bit beforehand or a little bit after for context. But they do give you these bookends, uh, these dates. And so we thought it would be useful to talk a little bit about 1800 uh, and then obviously the very end, 1848. And we're going to talk about all the changes in between those things yep. in the rest of the podcast. But let's let's jump into um, the election of 1800. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, no, what I, do you remember about the, yeah, what do you, how do you want to handle this? I mean, I said I would handle it. Yeah. No, well, time. so I mean, like just to kind of come back to a point you made. And when you look at these periods and how the AP defines them, um, treat them almost like a, a DBQ, if you will, with some of the skills we ask you guys to bring to answering those kind of questions. Like, all right, look at the end dates and what do those end dates say about that particular time period? You you guys know that we're, you know, n- neither Miss Bassett or myself are, have ever been like date people in terms of like, we don't re- sit there and require you to regurgitate dates on tests and quizzes, Um, but it is, as historians though, it is an important skill to have or knowledge base to know when things are happening. And so the AP- Yeah, it does help. Yeah, it does. So they pick 1800 and 1848 on purpose. There are specific things that happen um, in between those time periods. And of course the break itself is rather arbitrary in the eyes of the college board, right? It's, it's subjective on their end, but it does make sense when you break it down. One of them is Miss Bassett, you're right. Like 1800 historians and I'll, I'll throw it out. I'll throw it back to you. 
historians will call it like the revolution of 1800. But for those of you guys who have been paying attention, there is no actual revolution in 1800. No. So why are they calling it that? Well, what a what a great question. And so to that, and let's let's revisit some of the things that are happening in the election of 1800. And I'm going to try to, you know, touch upon these things as quickly as possible. And if I miss anything, please, Mr. Chase, yeah, uh, jump in. Um, so the election of 1800, <laughs> I, and I will, um, is uh, Pitts uh, Jefferson, right, against uh, John Adams, who is wildly unpopular. John Adams within his own. Uh, Federalist Party, right? So the election of 1800 is also kind of seeing the the ramifications of partisan rivalries um, in the 1790s. And ultimately, you know, spoiler alert, Jefferson does win this election, but not without a lot of storm and wrong, right? There's a lot of um, talk about uprisings. In fact, um, I think two states in particular start mobilizing their state militias, Virginia and Pennsylvania, are, are ready to, to battle if um, the votes are not tallied correctly for the Electoral College. And ultimately, it falls to Alexander Hamilton to spread the word. Alexander Hamilton. Right. Sorry. I, did that for, I did that for Catherine Dean. Sorry. All right. Go ahead. No, that's fine. So so John Adams, right, does not secure enough electoral votes. But then it falls to, you know, a battle royale between Jefferson and uh, Burr. And this is when I love how shade, there's so much shade here. And then Hamilton is like, I don't, listen, I don't like Jefferson. Like, I think that his views on government are totally wrong. However, that being said, Aaron Burr is only in it for himself. And I think he's only in it for his own self-aggrandizement. So I think that people should, uh, you know, federalists in right should because it goes to the house of representatives to decide the election should vote for jefferson because even though i don't agree with him i don't think he's going to run the country in such a way where it's only going to be for his own benefit um which is what ultimately uh results in not just jefferson's election but in the 12th amendment of the constitution which basically gives each elector in the electoral college one vote for president and one for vice president but there's this moment uh in the you know the early you know 19th century when it's unclear if this american experiment right. is gonna is gonna turn out and i think that's where part of the the nickname comes in as well right because it marks a peaceful transition of power right like one political party to the other which says you know hey this might work you know people are kind of this could work yeah. Because this has never been done before. I think that like what, one of the things that, that our students might not understand is that this is all new to everyone involved. The, the United States is really an experiment at this point that most yes. people are convinced is going to is going to fail. Um, Britain is just waiting right. for the United States to fall apart. And many people at the time didn't really think that the government that was created right. Right, was up to the task. And so Jefferson's election, even though it's not without its bumps and bruises, is is really kind of a vindication about the success of the American experiment and does, I think, start the century off with a sense of optimism and hope. Yes, absolutely. And then and then we, we you hit the fast forward button and you go all the way to the Please. other end. Yep, let's do it. 1848. Mm. Now, again, if we kind of if we uh, attack this um, date sort of the same way we want to attack like a DBQ, one of the things and you and I have both talked about this and the great J.J. Jennings from last year mentioned this in conversation. 
that College Board is always looking within the DBQ for some type of, um, for, for you to break it down in a political, economic, and social sense. Sorry, Simon, good. Sorry, oh, is that no? Like, okay, I apologize. No, Simon, Simon always is like, oh man, social, political, economic. Yeah. And I say things like, to what extent? And it just, he loses his mind. All I get right, it. there you go. So 1848, I think, checks two of those boxes. You've got um, some political change going on and you've got an attempt at social change. And I think the political one is easy to first kind of uh, talk about. And that is, you know, Mexican war is over. The United States now has all this sort of this new land out West, the American Southwest, California. Um, and that is then going to shift to a new period of tension within the United States. So post 1948, okay, is going to mark sort of the beginning of this, uh, if you want to call it civil war type tensions, we call uh, sectional tensions. So politically speaking, America hits this kind of like benchmark in 1848, where they begin to argue amongst themselves about what they're going to do with the new land that they've acquired uh, through things like the Mexican War. Now, on the other hand, uh, but also related to the Mexican War, some of the social change, um, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw the ball back to you in a second if you want to jump in. Oh, slavery is the issue, right? And so yeah. slavery um, is obviously going to lead to serious controversy and disagreement in the U.S. Um, and that is really going to also kind of come to a head in 1848 and lead to the creation of a women's rights movement. And that's, that's how that yeah, I'll throw that back to you in terms of like why slavery would ever lead to the creation of a women's rights movement and what that 1848 date means. Right. So the Seneca Falls Convention is, is really sort of um, the moment here where women use the Declaration of Independence as a way to draw attention to the vast inequalities and, and equities that exist in the United States, um, not just obviously about um women's rights, but about uh, multiple other groups in the United States who had been marginalized over time. But women in particular are the driving force behind many of these antebellum reform movements that exist. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later on. Yeah. But women are the driving force behind these antebellum reform movements. And many of them begin are, are acutely aware of the fact that they're driving the support for these movements, but themselves are deprived of many of these rights. And I do want to draw attention to the fact that, and I think that our students are aware of this. And I always try to bring this up. Everyone was well aware that slavery was immoral. They're aware of it at the Constitutional Convention. No one is suggesting at this point in time, really, that slavery is some sort of moral good. That comes slightly later. Um, but in terms of uh, anti-slavery rhetoric or abolitionist rhetoric, oftentimes women... Uh, White women in particular, but not just white women, are driving the movement. And the Seneca Falls Convention in 1848 draws attention to the fact that women who are trying to get these things done themselves are deprived of rights. Yes. And one of the key terms I think that uh, you brought up, just as a reminder to our AP fans, the word antebellum. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. And, I, and I think some of us probably know it because we're Latin lovers out there. But um Antebellum America <laughs> no before the war. So, right. So we're talking about when you use that term, College Board loves that term. We're talking about the life in the United States prior to the Civil War. But that was sort of the, the uh, unfortunate aha moment, right, that the women's rights movement had, where a lot of the women that took part in Seneca Falls Convention that Ms. Bassman was just talking about 
ended up there because when they were originally part of the um, the movement, the abolitionist movement, um, they were told, no, no, you can't join our cr- crusade against slavery because you're women. And, you're women with your stupid lady brains. Yeah, and it's like, wait a you're second. You're so emotional. Right. How can you're you- just going to... How can you possibly have thoughts? That's right. Or it's just, and it's just so stupid if you think about it. Like here you are, you know, getting all worked up about, oh, geez, then we, I guess we'll call them natural rights, civil rights, and, but we're only going to apply them to males and um, we're not going to let the women take part in this process. And so. It's as, as we always say in my AP class, particularly in the afternoon, I say it was a different time. Yeah. And when I say it was a different time. I'm not trying to say that to excuse things or like, you know, it's, it's kind of a disclaimer. There's this weird, um, just, well, hypocrisy, we would probably refer to it as, right? right? right. Where people say things like, you know, like Jefferson is considered some bash, you know, he's, he opposes slavery, um, you know, even in the Declaration of Independence, they had to like edit that part out. Yeah. It talks about slavery, but, you know, he's a slave owner. Uh, and he has all these completely inappropriate, I'm not even going to call them relationships, right. but, you know, relationships with, uh, you know, his, his life. So the idea that women would be in some way, would be not able to participate, I think for a lot of the people, a lot of the men who, you know, were living in that time was not something difficult for them to wrap their minds around. Like that was the expectation. Like, women would be right with and we're gonna oh gosh we're, we're going no, I know, I know. you know you're, you're talking about like republican motherhood like women can effect change yep. but as wives and mothers and they will act as a modifying influence on um on their husbands and the men around them um not just because you know their lady brains are too small and they're so emotional but also because uh politics um is tainted and and immoral and women should not be subjected to that, right? So there's this weird dichotomy about how women are trying to be protected, um, but also at the same time, their voices minimized. Yeah, and so, and then, and just to kind of then wrap up our our conversation yeah. about the, the bookends as dates, and, and and again, some of this might be reviewed to some students, but it's always important to remember. So, that, you know, Seneca Falls in 1848. Okay, so socially speaking, to come back to that thread, we yes. have the beginning or the launch of sort of a modern uh, women's rights movement. But if that's the case, then why does it take, you know, upwards of under 100 years for women to get the right to vote? Keep in mind that when you look at this agitation in American history, not once, but twice, essentially was um, female enfranchisement, you know, and, and, and civil rights for women stalled. Uh, by war. Right. Right? And so what ultimately, yes. but that's, we're not going to get into that. It's a whole other period, right? But that's a whole other period. But I think that's a very interesting and important point that you raised. Yeah. So you look at, you know, civil war stalls, sort of the momentum built up in the Seneca Falls Convention in 1848, much like sort of World War One stalls mm. um, the women's vote um, in the early 1900s. But again, that's, those are different time periods and are- conversations from different days. But I think that is just these are two very important points to kind of use uh, to give us a, a start and a finish yep. period for. So and then we'll 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 jump back in in just a bit to talk a little bit more about, you know, the, the stuff in between. Um, 
And we mentioned some of it already. Uh, so we'll try to we'll try to make it as efficient as possible. But uh, we'll we'll be right back with a little bit of that. There you go. Okay, I'm going to just really quickly have a little talk about Westward Expansion. Sean Chase is not available as of right now. So I'm just going to throw this in. Just just me, just KB. And then he'll jump back in when we talk about the rest of period four. But Westward Expansion is a major theme, the early to mid-19th century, and causes quite a bit of um, conflict. Uh, resulting from the dialogue over whether slavery will spread into this newly acquired territory. But big big picture here, you want to think about uh, the major policy choices that lead to um, westward expansion. Probably the first uh, and most, not most significant, but pretty, pretty significant um, territorial acquisition was the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. Um, and it's Jefferson's vision, right, to create this amazing American um, experiment where people are farming and just being the best citizens that they can. He's like this vision of this Roman Republic. Um, and he thinks that the purchase of this land, which he actually feels really conflicted about because there's no power in the Constitution that says um, that he can actually make this purchase from Napoleon. But he thinks it is going to be gangbusters for the United States. It's just going to be the best um, and so that's obviously going to lead to a lot of things like, you know, for example, compromises, speaking of compromises, the compromise of 1820, right? Because, um, a lot of this land that's acquired during, um, these, um, treaties or whatever, then have to be parceled out into slave or free. Keep in mind, um, the argument about slavery being a moral, a moral good or moral bad, which we kind of talked about earlier in the year. That's not a conversation that's really being had in earnest at this point in time. Uh, most people are hoping that slavery will die out and become like a moot point. It'll be pretty much um, obsolete. But um, other big moments when you're talking about uh, territorial acquisitions, you're looking at the Mexican-American War, right, which is going to lead to um, things like, you know, huge amounts of land uh, being incorporated to the United States. Um, and, you know, you see ideas, principles of manifest destiny. Sorry for the clicking noise. That probably can't be great. Um, and this is going to have a long-term effect on the spirit of the United States, the attitudes of Americans towards uh, the acquisition uh, of land and their right to the land, right? And that that really famous John O'Sullivan painting, um, American progress does a really good job kind of encapsulating all of that. But ultimately, one of the major concerns you want to think about during period four is the expansion of America, what it means for people who can get out west, but also what it means for indigenous people who are already there. And ultimately, uh, what what are these complications going to be uh, in terms of slave or free? And uh, next up, we'll be talking a little bit about um, the expansion of power of the uh, federal government. Do it. So yeah. So well, we're going to talk about the Marshall Court. That's what's happening right now. I was just, I was just, but I wanted to talk about the time when that kid trolled me. Oh shoot! We should. Okay, before we talk about the Marshall Court kids. No, you right. can just edit it. You don't have to tell them that. You can just say. I don't. But it's so pedantic to. Okay. Well, maybe you will. I don't know. No. Well, it kind of was funny. Like the idea that we're doing a podcast. Right now. Back, huh? You should tell the story right now. I will. 
Well, yep. just the whole this whole thing of us having a podcast reminds me of when um, that kid trolled me. That was weird. That was a weird situation that looking back at it, I don't think we realized it was weird until we were in it. Like No, because it was real at the time. And for those... <laughs> yes, it was real. I was going to be a travel, adventure travel TV show host. So here's the background in the story. <laughs> you, you were part of it. I just want to make it clear. This is all true. Yes, I, it's all true. So I had a, I, I, this is, I had a student probably, two, I'm not kidding when I give the dates, 20 years ago, so I taught eighth grade. And this kid was in my class as an eighth grader. And so five, six years ago, he reached out to me via email, total shot in the dark. And it was like, I got a crazy idea for you. You got to call me. And so I'm like, fuck it, whatever. Oh, I just swore. Sorry. Way so to I go. Call, Perfect. So I called him. So it turns out this kid is, well, at least at the time, lived in Hollywood and was connected to a producer. Sure he was. Sure. And he was, well, it's, I mean, it sounded, it sounded like it was real. And he pitched me a plan in which he wanted me to be the host of a Anthony Bourdain-like travel TV show. And time out. We know how much yeah. you love Anthony Bourdain. So yes. And so I was hooked. Can we be clear that I'm hearing this aloud again? You know what I mean? Yes. And it sounds crazy. Like, this is crazy. Okay, he told me that I was going to go to Thailand. <laughs> why did we not? Why, why were Shmir and I like... We were going to go... We were gonna, he, he was going to film me at, um, in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And then he was going to film me because he was like, you can talk about the history of these places and you can party because we know you love to party. And I'm oh, like, man. Oh, oh, man. And so, and then he kept, I didn't even, I was going to go to this moon party in Thailand. Look it up, you guys. I don't know. This is some, this some is, moon party. Okay. I, the fact that anybody is maybe not, maybe some people are listening to this. All right. So I'll speed the story up and then we'll get into the real history. So what happened was he asked me to, to send him a demo video. Oh, here it is. And I'm like, this is so weird. I'm not going to just send him a demo video. So you sat in as like my straight man or woman This is in I, the video. And we recorded the video together. And I, I like interviewed. It was like a demo and I sent an audition and I sent it to him. It was like <laughs> and he responded back. Yeah, that's great. Lose the girl. Do it again. Yep. And then I never heard back from Caleb. Was his name like lose your clothes and the girl <laughs> no it never happened that part didn't happen it never got that far but he told me he had to work on the bernie sanders campaign and so that's why <laughs> that's why i couldn't make my travel channel oh you were so close you were so close but i will say the silver lining of that is that uh that's you know where my podcast idea kind yeah, of was. that was our first shot at stardom well it's and it didn't go well, so I don't no, know how it either. It didn't. All right, anyways. Back to the Marshall. We have a lot to talk about. We do. So let's, like, keep it – we'll keep it in the, like, I don't know, few-minute segments. Yeah, right? Like, I think Marshall Court is pretty easy. Yes. Pretty forward. And I feel like if you guys remember – now we're getting to the history. Here's a segue. I should put some music in. <laughs> Heads up. Um, you talk about Marbury versus Madison, McCullough versus Marilyn, Gibbon versus Ogden. Fletcher versus Peck, if you're feeling a little spicy, right? Ooh. All of right. Look at me. But all of those cases expand the power of not just the federal government, but also kind of strengthens the federalist interpretation of government. 
Yes. And I think the other piece that is kind of neat, and this is not as important in the college board world, is but it, the Supreme Court out of the three branches of government, when the country was first created, really had no idea what it was supposed to do. An afterthought. Um, it, it was not in the, the Supreme Court that you are familiar with today, especially when you go back to last year and we were doing all our Bill of Rights cases, it's viewed as this, you know, very powerful, and it is, institution, but prior to uh, the leadership of John Marshall and those court decisions, the Supreme Court really had no real role or didn't know what its role was in government. And so, no. and so it, it established um, the power of the federal government, but it also established what was important judicial review. Yep. So that if Congress passed a law that was against the Constitution uh, or was not supported by the Constitution, the Supreme Court would come back and say, hey, you can't do that, and then slap them on the wrist and move on. So. Right, which is really incredible because the fact that John Marshall kind of invents something out of nothing or, or very yeah. little is really interesting. But it also, and, and, and I think that's all there is to say about that. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. And you're not going to see a question about that. <laughs> no, not really. You just wasted probably minutes of your life, you guys. That's, you're back. that's all right. You know, I'll just go back and have a Marbury versus Madison flashbacks. And ah, really, what's the point of that? But now, but now we get to what? What stuff are we talking about next? What's happening? So I think the big theme when you look at the 1800s is this idea of um, democracy. I guess democratic and, trends. Yeah, democratic trends, and then I and we well, had we even kind well, of look at it more of like I I like to think of it as like the the democratic spirit. Yeah. Um, because to say that you know yeah. democracy is born, yeah. uh, we're not born. Was, was um, what's the word I'm looking for? More accessible. Yeah. It's just it's kind of a lie. I mean, it really only applies to white property holding males, and then eventually just white males. But what's important is this democratic spirit, spirit which is like pervasive throughout the land in all sorts of different walks of life, like in politics, um, in religion. Um, yeah, Great Awakening. And, That's a big one. Yeah arts and literature and things like that. And so one of the first big guys politically thinking um, to talk about would be like Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Um, who. It's kind of the worst. But, yeah, but you know what? Like I, I know I'm going to lose some points here, but I love teaching Andrew Jackson. Oh, oh, let me be clear. I think that Andrew Jackson is kind of the worst, but I think he's one of the most interesting stories. He's like, I would watch a movie about yes. Jackson. He killed a man. He killed a man. Killed a man in cold blood. In cold blood. And then when a man challenged him on the street, he like beat him. Yeah. So any president who's into, you know, killing, brawling, gambling, drinking, fighting, and horse racing, it's my kind of guy. But I mean, like then. Without so, like the murder part, I guess. Without the murder part and the, you know, Indian removal and, you know, the fact that he was also racist. Him, but you know what I always liked about him? not important at all but he's heartbroken when his wife rachel dies yes and that fueled a lot of when, when i say things like andrew jackson is the worst i don't think anyone would be like oh like indian remote like clearly that's just a blanketly terrible policy but it's also the way that he pursues these personal vendettas against people like nicholas biddle and the bank yep. so too much information you guys please tune there you go if you haven't already but just that he he has this spirit of revenge which i would like love to read about and like watch like i would like i like teaching it because it's interesting to teach about someone who's flawed yeah flawed. one year in the spirit of andrew jackson if, if henry stafford is listening but he's probably not 
he has since graduated. Should we sh should we share this with him? We should share it with Henry Stafford because um, to reenact the dueling culture of the South, and then we should probably move on. We had a Nerf gun duel in the woods outside my classroom in B240, in which videotape uh, evidence will clearly show that I defeated Henry Stafford in a Nerf gun duel, much like Andrew Jackson would defeat his opponents in a duel. Um, I like how you're casting yourself as Andrew Jackson. Yeah. It's a bold, it's a bold choice. It is a bold choice. <laughs> Anyways, so just kind of looking at Jackson, so what, what do you guys need to know? Like the, the, the phrase comes to mind, uh, the era of the common man. Jacksonian democracy. I remember in AP 90,000 years ago when I took it, there was a big comparison between Jeffersonian democracy and Jacksonian democracy, right? But like Jackson sees himself as really like the heir to Jefferson. Jefferson thinks he's like a complete lunatic, but he does represent the spirit of the time. Like it, you don't really have to focus so much on Andrew Jackson, but what that period of, it's all about optimism and like just being able to do whatever you can do and like the government able to support you to do that. And what's unique about Jackson, too, in mentioning Jefferson is that Jackson actually is the first president in U.S. history who is not from either Virginia or from Massachusetts. And one of the things that propels him into office is this uh, relaxed voter qualifications in a lot of states in which uh, white males who don't have to hold property can now participate in politics. And so he's kind of like swept into office um, in this momentum of optimism that uh, that Ms. Bassam was just talking about there. You know, from there, though, he's kind of a complicated figure, though, because he's somebody who claims he's all about states' rights, but yet in other areas, he wields tremendous power. Um, as, a, as the president of the United States, he was um, derided as and, and nicknamed um, as King Andrew for being the one who was um, quick to wield veto powers as president. Um, Jackson also got into a tip with South Carolina and tariffs, which is something you should probably check out. Tariff abominations. Tariff abomination. Oh my God, that's when we should cut in Mr. Schmier to do his horrific Southern accent. Yes. Like he's, I don't know, it sounds like he's on his last legs. Yeah. But that's no, I think that what you raise the issue, this is, I was like, this is really interesting, is not, he's elected by people in these newly like this is like the new West, right? Like that's kind of like the, op like that's not, when we say the opening of the West, that's not what we're referring to, but like this march towards opening up America politically, socially, and economically, like begins with his election by people who were, would not be able to vote. And like those states had been recently incorporated into the, into the union. Yeah, like Jackson's home was in Tennessee, which would be considered like a Western state at that time period. Um, and he, you, I mean, you want to talk about parties, boys, when he was inaugurated, it was a bender. And oh, like, yeah. I love that. And the woman is like, oh my God, they're like, they like ransacked the White House. People are like, there was a big wheel of cheese. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, big wheel was like cheddar. It was like <laughs> the <laughs> finest cheddar. And he was almost like suffocated. Trapped. They were like all over him. <laughs> yep. I love it. I love it. You know what else? But, this is my segue. With, 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 yeah, with. Oh, no. Okay. You're, what? Uh -oh. Just, oh, oh, no. I'm back. You're back. I'm fading in and out. We're coming to an end. We're coming to the pit stop. We're coming to industrialization. So we're, we're wrapping okay, it. Okay, there we go. I'm good. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Yeah. Are you? 
Yeah, I am. You were gonna, what was your segue? My segue was going to say, what else do I love? I love, you know, rapid industrialization taking place in the now. It was actually more clever than that, but I can't remember what I was going to say. I lost my train. No, that, that's fine. You know, to I come back. Thought, get it? Get it? Because you're seeing early. No? Okay. Transportation? So we can, we can link it back up. One of Jackson's um, biggest uh, haters was a guy by the name of Henry Clay. Former mm-hmm. Henry Clay tries to run for president like four times and loses. But that's a whole other thing. Like that, you're like, ooh, Henry Clay, you've lived a life. Like, and it shows. Like, you do not look good. Yeah. So one of Henry Clay's big contributions was something that was called the American system. Oh, my favorite. I yeah. What, I know. Great map. It's a great map to me. fantastic. The American system, long story short, the goal was to kind of link the industrial power, the growing industrial powers of the, of the East with sort of the food producing regions of the West. And then we're just going to kind of ignore the South. But so. The, well, that's the effect, right? But the yes. goal is this series of proposals. Yes. Like everything's going to get something that they want, but then they all wind up being like, no, we're, we're not on board with that. And oddly enough, and this is so timely, one of the things that is enormously significant in the economic growth of the United States is, dare I say it, the building of the Erie Canal, which my daughter read about on Epic Learning today and he did a quiz on. Like, that's big time. That's like... Yep. Big things are happening. Makes New York City, New York City, the Erie Canal. New York City. And, uh, but I mean, a lot of those ideas are coming from, where is the first mill established? You know, not Massachusetts. It's the bucket. It's Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I have been to Samuel Slater's mill. I have too. I went there on a field trip with Mr. Delaney years ago. You did? To Pawtucket? Yeah, just me and Mr. Delaney. We were just, we are hanging out (laughs) at Slater's mill. I kid you not. All day in Pawtucket. Wait, when was this? This was, I don't know. It was just the two of us. It was some kind of like primary sources or teaching with American history documents. And we went inside the mill. Oh, they man. opened the door. I'm, I'm seeing a montage of you guys just like drinking and all the history. Like yeah. the buddy comedy kind of like, oh. Yeah. Yep. But the, <laughs> it was, Nuts. yeah, good times. Anyway. <laughs> and I think, uh, and I think, well, I um, mean, you know, you guys remember they were like, this is the most useless podcast of all time. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, if you know about the Lowell Mill Girls, if you're aware about how it, you know, it changes the North uh, in particular, but not the South. The South remains agrarian and stagnant, firmly committed, right, to the production of, of cash crops, most notably cotton. Um, this is all brewing in, in the early uh, 19th century and continues, obviously onward but i think that's i think we've done it i think that's yeah it. well and I, then connect that no go back and then connect that back to jackson so when you oh, look at the let's talk about okay yep when you look at the real quick the tariff issues that jackson is facing what's happening is that it's pitting the industrial north versus the agricultural south um and uh that is something that is it is reflective of and driving um some of this industrialization but anyways yeah yep. I think that's good. I don't know if this is, you know what, maybe they'll listen to this before and then we can talk about it in the, in the Zoom. That's our goal. Yeah, right. You're right. If this does not work out, then this was a lot of minutes of my life and your life that we'll never get back. But That's okay, because we, we've only got uh, two areas left to really get into the democratic spirit. Yes. And that, that is the Great Awakening. Oh, the second one. First. Second Great Awakening. Thank you. We're always like, wait, what? I'm like, that was the early 1700s and John... Wit, John Edwards. Oh my God, John John Edwards is like uh, you're gonna burn over a fire like a spider. Like it's very dark and grim and like puritanical. Yes. Second awakening, 
you know, you like everyone's like, Jesus is amazing. And they find all different ways to talk about how Jesus is amazing. Yeah. And what is kind of unique about the Second Great Awakening is that it's reflective of the democratic spirit because it was a religious movement in which Americans were allowed to come to terms with God well, on their own terms. Yeah. Um, including your favorite group, Ms. Basson, the Mormons. I do love the Mormons. And Joseph Smith. I know I, now I, this I, podcast I, could last hours if we start talking about Oh my God. I like no, Joseph I Smith. I'm I'm really love it because um oh my god, why my mile made that amazing documentary about the Mormons. And I was like, oh my God, the, that story is amazing. That's a Mile, great singular, Mile Larson. Mile, Mile, not Mile. mile. I, I said Mile. But like, no, you got it right. I got it right. I know Mile. Right. Um, yeah. But it's a great story. It's a great story. And like, that's a great story in a way that kind of touches upon all of, all of that, you know, those periods. And it's also filled with tragedy. Oh, it's incredible. Yep, Second Great Awakening and Westward Expansion rolled in with those Mormons. Um, and then also thinking about it in terms of the reform movement, like the idea that, hey, you know, we, we're getting our Jesus on, we're becoming more religious. Yep. What else can we do? And then you begin to see some of the ills and the evils in society and oh, things that are morally wrong. And then immediately you think of that uh, political cartoon with the stages of drunkenness, because I yeah. know I do. Yep. My brain right now. Yep. Which is uh, on one, that was one of the, the documents, right? That, it was. It was that we asked them to look at, which they're like, thanks guys. We could have used this podcast earlier, but. <laughs> yeah, you're like, where were you when we had right. to do this? That would have been great. Sorry. But, but anyways, to come back to like the reform movement, it's democratic spirit where the idea that people can uh, fix and uh, um, bring about an effect change on society for the better. Uh, very similar in a sense to your progressive era movements, if you want to draw that connection later on down the line, but uh, yeah, progressive I, era a little bit more. Go ahead. And they did. They, I think they did a good job doing the, the connection to the antebellum, because we're always talking about contextualization, right? Like, right. you see these themes, you see these trends, um, and they come back, you know, now and again, but they're, I mean, this, the democratic spirit is something you can keep talking about, but this is very specific to the time itself. Like a, it's a, and a lot is going on, but it seems it's tinged, I think, in a positive kind of way. There's like, a, there's a, I'm not saying it is positive. I'm saying like the view of people at the time is that there's probably a lot of promise and opportunity yeah. for very specific people, <laughs> but more right. than, specific, more right. than specific. more people, like more people than it happened. Right. And then we're going to get and then find, like one of the other sort of side notes of the time period would be the transcendentalist movement, which you guys are kind of like is beat into your head and drummed into your head in seventh grade with Henry David Thoreau. But that, that, that kind of rolls in the, I, the divinity of man, you know, brought out in the second They're grade awakening. Without drugs. They're hippies without drugs. That's right. That's right. And, and then nature. A transparent eyeball. Like what, what? Ralph Waldo Emerson was on one. Like that, yeah. that's great. That's great stuff. And that's, I mean, I think they know about that from American literature anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, or whatever. Or I, always get, I always get confused by the English classes they take. I never know what they're taking anymore. I don't think they do either. No, that's not true. You guys were just starting The Great Gatsby. Can we discuss, wait. <laughs> J dot. All right. So sorry. Spoiler alert. So are we going to discuss Last of the Mohicans? Oh my God, this is going on for so long. But are we going to discuss? La oh. 
No, no. Why would I just? Oh, I would discuss Last of the Mohicans because James because writes it in 1826. Yes. And it's like this crazy story that Mark Twain is like, this is you're on some bullshit because. But I don't think they have caught. We didn't watch it last year. No, we didn't watch it. I just right. want to talk about oh. it because we always just <laughs> <laughs> I loved it so much. Oh, they're you can like edit that part out. No, I, I'm going to keep it in. I want the realness. <laughs> and Natty Bumpo was his name. Wasn't even Hawkeye. It was Natty oh, Bumpo. Natty Bumpo. Uh, those are great stories. And like you got, you know, you read, you're like, okay, the, the Hudson River Valley movement. But those paintings are really gorgeous. I did a whole course about the Hudson River Valley movement. I, I was with you. We were at Museum of Fine Arts. No, that, but that, I did another one. I did another oh. River Valley one. And they had us take a, like a cruise ship. Yep. Cruise ship. That's not the word I'm looking for. Like a booze cruise kind of thing. Um, the Hudson and we like went past West Point you know that was going to be my secret reveal I love one of the sad things about the COVID epidemic is that um, I won't be able to do my Hudson Valley art Hudson River School I liked it I liked it a lot yeah it's a shame that you can't get involved in that not for the juniors I do it for the sophomores sophomores last year who had me would remember it maybe but Maybe. Who knows? Never know. Yeah. I'm going to, I, we'll see how this goes now. I think we're, we, you, thank, thank God for Sean Chase, because honestly, I was like off in different directions and you were like, hey, there's an outline. How about we reference it? And I no, think it's fun. who we are as people. <laughs> yep. I've never had, had the ability to rein you in. So I just, you just gotta, no, just go. It's not, it, it's not a good thing. It's something I probably should work on as like a personality <laughs> trait. Follow the course. Oh, too All right, so uh, I'm gonna see how this goes, and I'll, I'll, we'll see what happens. But we have outro music now. Oh, now, now I, I'm gonna chip chop this up, and I'm gonna put it in my little, whatever it's called, okay. <laughs> my, my podcast making machine, and then it'll add music. It's not hard. <laughs> if I'm barely able to do it, it's not difficult. That's great. I'm really. Right, let me know then. Um, let me know how, if you need help with the right. login stuff or, or send me the login stuff and I can play around with it. But I don't want to ruin your art form if you've got. 